right, welcome into another edition after a, a week or so off of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. Well, we had it last week, Bob, but uh, actually, have Peter Bessie oh, still yes. in for you. An old friend of me. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I wondered what your relationship was with him, and he said you guys were friends. Uh, you probably went at it a little bit over the years, if I had to guess. Well, but, uh, I admire Peter Bessie. I don't think any any history of a cultural history of the NBA would be accurate without a mention of his impact for a 15 or 20 year period on 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 the reporting of, of the NBA and 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 on selling the NBA message or, or or propagating the greatness of NBA basketball to the world at large with a great forum, you know. And a paper gave him all the indulgence he needed. Um, he he made my life hard, which is I'm saying this in admiration because he's he he was I wasn't a great the greatest. Uh, reporter, I, I love to write and pontificate more than like I you like. You weren't a newsbreaker, right? You weren't. It, that wasn't you. I, I can't. I mean, the very limited list of things that you could say. Bob Ryan broke the story. Yep. I like yep. analyzing the story after someone else does all the dirty work. Peter Messi loved to do the dirty work yep. and and broke stories and and he made me react. Then my boss would say, uh, "Bessie says this. Uh, what about it, Bob?" That kind of stuff. <laughs> so that's in that sense, you got to give him. I salute him. And and he knew what he was doing. I mean, he I he knew his basketball. There's no doubt. I mean, I I was an avid reader. I looked hoop du jour. That's what he called his column, yeah. hoop du jour. I was a big avid reader of his. So absolutely, uh, I admire Peter Vesey. And, and we were and we also we played some a lot of basketball together. There was a, a group of us who played a lot of ball in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, and during the playoffs, we always commandeered a gym, uh, you know. And he was part of that group. So uh, I remember uh, pretty, pretty good long range jump shooter. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what he says at least. So uh, I'll vouch for it. I can, vouch I can for it. Him right now. So anyway, right, well, you, you got a, You did a great. You got a great uh, guy there. Yeah, it was good. It was good. We'll have to do it with the three of us uh, later on because you guys can probably tell stories all day long. But let, let's hear first. Nickname oh. Larry Bird. He gave him that Larry Legend nickname. Did he really? I didn't know that. He gets credit for Larry Legend. I get nice. credit for Prince of Pessimism. Don't ever let anybody. <laughs> Tell you that it was it was I called Chuck Daly the Prince of Pessimism, and I want credit, damn it. And I also called the Nets the Exit 16W Nets, uh, and I want good. because there's no there there, you know, there was no there there, you know. And anyway, all right now, so Peter Bessie, good. Anyway, <laughs> you're you're back from uh, France. I'm yes. back from uh, Ohio. You went a little bit further, but I, I would I would fight you to the fact that I, I had as good a time as you did because I took. Uh, it was a dad and daughter trip to a couple games. We saw a double header actually on Saturday. Hey, yep. Yeah. Great, great day. But um, you've been to Paris. You've been to France wife, countless times. It's our 21st time is my 18th. And um, we've been going pretty much annually now for about the last 15 years. And uh, um, we just love, first of all, I do speak enough French that uh, I go, thank you for my exclusive Eastern Prep School education. Salute to the Lawrenceville School. All right. Five years of French there has served me well in my in my times in, in Paris. I can make myself understood all the time and, uh, and I get along very well in Paris and, and France with, with my with the French. We love the city. We like the food. We like the wine. We have our favorite places to go. We have our favorite restaurants. We just love walking around. I just love the ambiance of, of Paris. And, and, and my wife agrees. What's the weather like this time of year? How was it? it, it well, it, it, we we lucked out completely in that the week before we got there it was incessant rain. This week it's going to be incessant rain, and we had one rainy day, nice. and and we got the only interlude. It was in the it ranged from like thirty five to fifty eight. You know, it, the range it was yep. it was one really nice day, uh, but didn't impede our 
no getting around ever. And that rain that we had wasn't a pelting rain at all. It was a, an annoying rain, you know, nothing, nothing that deterred you from walking around with the proper, you know, uh, foot gear. So anyway, so we had, a, we had a big occasion this time was we went into La Greve, which is the strike. And uh, that grounded transport uh, took away a train trip we were going to take to Bordeaux uh, for city of Bordeaux for uh, a day. Uh, the metro stopped running for the most part on Thursday last week. Uh, only sporadic. Uh, the 16 lines and only a couple were operating and even then on partial basis. So it did interfere with us getting around to a degree. But we walk around more than most people anyway, and uh, we managed to survive it okay. And we got home too because we were flying uh, Delta, not Air France, and that made a difference. You know who should strike, Bob? Knicks fans. Knicks, Knicks fans should strike. Absolutely. They're, God, what a, what a thing. Um, you know, speaking of French, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose, which for those of you who don't know, it means the more things change, the more they stay the same, and, and ergo the New York Knicks. Uh, you know, what, what, just so predictable. Was this the eighth coach since 2004? I don't know. I got lost track. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, as long as Jim Dolan's there, nobody seems to have any confidence if they're going to change this thing. But when they brought on Scott Perry, you know, a year, year and a half ago, whatever it was from Sacramento, there, there was some level of optimism. Okay, he had done a good job uh, drafting lately in Sacramento, high character, good players. Uh, he gets a job, and um, it, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, the bottom line is... There's yeah. still a buffer with Steve Mills, who yep. seems to be part, part of the problem. There's not much doubt about that. Uh, but ultimately, the problem is Dolan and and Dolan's judgment on people. And, you know, range of, whether it's Isaiah Thomas or whether it's Phil Jackson or whether he's allowed to, to, people are allowed to do their jobs the way they should do their jobs. We really don't know for, to what extent uh, Perry is hampered or even psychologically hampered, if you will, by, by Dolan's presence or the seriously or the whole aura of the garden. But the remarkable thing is they still keep coming, paying those exorbitant prices, paying for the $12 beer, paying for the 10 dollar hot dog etc uh, etc et uh, to, to see a, a crappy product <laughs> period well, you know they, they fired david fisdale after a year plus i mean a year and however many games this year we knew they were going to stink this year i mean that was never really a question when you when, when they missed on kevin durant and Kyrie or whatever or just kd um and ended up getting who they did marcus morris and julius randall and alfred payton they don't have a point guard, not a high-level point guard. They got three they decent ones. They're, yeah, you can't win. You can't win. So was Fisdale really the issue at the end of the day? I know they weren't playing hard all the time, Bob, but was this the right move? Uh the right move. Uh, was it the, I don't think that's the proper word. Is it the fair move? The answer is no, of course not. And, you know, we can go back on the, on the old, you know, life isn't fair. You know, whoever wants to get credit for that you know, thing, it's fine. But, um, no, it wasn't fair. And, and he has – and he retains – I got, he'll get another chance, I think, because he does have – I, I, I think it's at least – I'm, I'm going to give it a 60-40 a a okay. someday. He may fall into it as an assistant again sometime and do well. He'll get another – I just think he deserves another chance based on the, the general respect and admiration he has throughout the league in a lot of quarters, don't you think? He's still – I don't think this – more people are better looking at this, not – and feeling – in fact, yeah. you know yeah. and I know it's out there on Twitter – the lucky people are saying in the no, he's the lucky one. He's out of there. You know, he got paid. No, no, there's no doubt. He's lucky. Dolan, yes. Dolan, you, you get, you know, he, he, he doesn't try to pull a, a Donald Sterling and, or, or, or Mark Cuban and not, not pay the guy. So, you know, now, now the, the name that's probably going to be circulated already has is, is Mark Jackson, right? I mean, Nick sky, you know, him well, a high IQ, didn't work out in Golden State. He's been doing TV ever since. 
Is that the right move right now? Mike Miller's the interim. Well, you know, it's it's your problem with that one is it's just it's it's almost like the micro it's the flip side of what St. John's did bringing back uh, Chris Mullen, the, the the local hero. To, Mullen to didn't that. work though, Bob. Mullen didn't no, work. No, it didn't work. It didn't work, and and I'm I'm you know I'm disappointed. I like Chris very much. It didn't work. But Mark Jackson, it, it's not like he did a terrible job in San Francisco. He did a good job. He didn't do a great job. I mean, he took him as far as I think he could take him, and I do think that they needed to step up. And I did say that that they needed this at the time. That um, I I thought they had the best roster, one to twelve in the league, and his la- overall in his last yeah. year there, and he could have gotten more out of that team. But but he certainly has proven that he can coach in the NBA. I mean, and 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 maybe the chemistry, maybe the whole maybe. Maybe that will be the answer. Maybe bringing somebody home like him, uh, I don't know. But it's not the answer. I don't know, Jeff. There is the answer. There's an answer, or there are a couple of answers out there. And and but but as long as Dolan's there, yeah. comma, I, I, it's not good. It's not good because they put all their eggs in a Durant basket on based on what? Right. <laughs> Bad know? information. You know, you, you you need to get better. And then when he goes across town. Oh, that's the that- ultimate killer when he goes to the nets over the i mean who, who would if i had ever told you that you know 10 oh. 15 20 years ago that the best player in the league or one of them would choose the nets over the knicks you would have thought it was nuts impossible monsieur and i'll tell you something there's two things that if you told me five years ago i, I would have said the two things i believe firmly even then one or was that the lakers could never be bad bad right. Right. They've not missed the playoffs in how many years. Never be bad because they're the Lakers, the aura, the tradition, the, the weather, you know, yeah. the whole Hollywood thing. They would have no trouble attracting premier free agents in this, in this era of free agency, and they would not have any chance of being bad. Well, they had been very bad. Not now, but they, uh, they, they've gone through a long fallow period. Number two, that the Knicks would not be a destination. You know, we just grew up, you and I grew up in a, well, New York, it was the Garden of Mecca, basketball, blah, blah, blah. You know, because I, I lived through the 70s when the Knicks were, were terrific and lived through the late 80s, early 90s when they still had those competitive teams um, and, and, uh, and they were fun. And, and the Garden was a rocking place to be. And as, and as Mike Vaccaro and Mike Lupica both pointed out, they were the number one team in town over the Yankees or the Giants or anybody else for a period of time. The, 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 everybody waited until the next season was over before they started paying attention to what was going on in the baseball season. Hard to imagine right now, folks, yeah, but that's the yeah. way it was not all that long ago. And it is deteriorated to a shocking and, and depressing extent. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And again, the talent level there is just, it's mediocre. I mean, they get R.J. Barrett. They don't win the Zion sweepstakes. R.J. Barrett's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be a good piece for years to come, but he, he's not a franchise player. You know, they, they sign these kind of tier uh, two or tier three guys, Julius Randle. You know, they're hyping up Mitchell Robinson like he's going to be a superstar. Yeah. Uh, it, it just doesn't look any better. So, for me, Bob, it's if you're Mar- Mark Jackson, why the hell would you take this job? Well, if he has a soft spot in his heart, if he wants a job to get a job, if he feels that I'm out, if I don't take it now, maybe people will think, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what, would, what exactly will go through his head. They'll pay him. There's no doubt, yeah. and I'm, I'm I'm sure he's not starving right now. But they'll pay him right now, and 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 he might have an, enough of an ego and a confidence in himself to say, "Damn it, I can do this job." You know, I would think there's people out there that would say that, and I think he would be one of them, possibly. And 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 what's and if it ever does work out, you talk about being a a king, you know, in an important kingdom, right? Yep. So it's it's like, hey, when when Patino came to Boston. 
and and I said whoever can resurrect, you know, and he even said it. I had a, did an interview with him when he was still with the uh, in Kentucky, and and he was saying whoever can restore Boston will be, a, you know, will be uh, yeah. extolled. Yeah. Well, he couldn't do it, for, and of course, the reason he did himself in by being a bad general manager. There's nothing wrong with his coaching. It was his general managing that did him in. But anyway, he's right about that, and and. Uh, restoring Boston, uh, well, restoring the Knicks is the same thing. Whoever can do it, it'll be wonderful. But uh, and I, I, so Mark Jackson, maybe he is the the, the guy with the proper, uh, you know, package. I don't know. It's been a week of, uh, I guess, coaching uh, headlines within the NBA more than anything else. The other story that that kind of broke was the Athletic wrote a kind of a scathing story about uh, Cleveland, John Beeline, new head coach, and. This one kind of hits home for me, obviously, because I've known Beeline for years, you know, mm-hmm. being a college coach, and, and the Athletics saying that uh, the players aren't happy. They're not happy with the way that Beeline's kind of running the uh, NBA franchise. He's doing a lot like like a college program. And listen, when, when John Beeline was hired, Bob, uh, by the Cavs, and I know Mike Gans, he's, he's the assistant GM there. He played for uh, Beeline in, in West Virginia, and I know Mike well, and Kobe Altman's a young general manager who was a college assistant coach for years. Uh, I kind of shook my head. I have the utmost respect for John Beeline as an X's and O's guy. Um, but ultimately, I just thought about it, and I'm like, there's no way these guys in the NBA are going to really listen to John Beeline, and he's not going to win enough to no. command their respect. Like, Brad Stevens won enough, quickly enough, that he got that locker room. And Rondo was gone, right? I mean, that was the best thing Danny Ainge could do, was get rid of Rondo quickly, and then he won enough so that all the players looked at him and said, you know what, this guy's pretty damn good. Right now in Cleveland, they're looking at John Beeline and saying, it's not our fault. Like, we're good enough. They all look and think that way. Yeah, but it's course, his fault. No, we know it's wrong. You know, it's, right. they're, not, they're not good enough. It's a, yeah. it's a melange of, 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 you know, veterans who aren't all that great to start with. And, and you know, I mean, you're, you're, uh, except Kevin Love, I don't know. Someday I'm going to have to analyze. Maybe we could have a good – someday I'd like to have a whole – arc of Kevin Love's yeah. discussion, but not today, but table that one, Jeff. Okay. I want Someday I want to talk about Kevin Love. But to Kevin Love, Thompson, uh, of course, John Henson, I mean, you know, we're not talking star there. <clears throat> Young players, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what you, I thought Sexton was a chance to be a really good player coming out. Did you? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think Sexton's got a chance, but he's young. He's got yeah. a long way to go and as a point Darius guard. Garland, uh, Sadie, you know, Usman, and, and Kevin Porter Jr. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be impressed with this roster. No, I don't think so. No, hell but no. But here's a, folks, if you're not paying attention, and I understand why you wouldn't, you know, why you're not, not only have they lost six straight at the moment, not only have they lost nine out of 10, but among these losses are such losses as 47, 33, and 42 point losses. Yeah. And in the most recent one, they were down, they lost it six years by 47 and, <clears throat> and gave up 77 points and a half. So something's not working, clearly. Well, you know. again, part of it is this group isn't probably the group that's going to be able to um, really uh, take in John Beeline. You know, one of the things that wasn't written in that story that I've heard from my sources is that, you know, how how much do NBA teams practice during the season? Minimal. Not, Minimal. These guys are practicing, and they're practicing for like two hours. And they don't want that. You think Kevin Love wants to go two hours during the week when they're playing, you know, Three, four games? No, they they don't want that at all. That they're not used to it. So there's got to be some compromise there. And John Beeline, he's actually Bob. If there's any, any such a thing, I think he's actually an old sixty-six years old. And what I mean by that is, I don't think he can 
Uh, he's very engaged with with younger players. I think he's a, think good, he's a guy, good guy, high character, high character, all that. But I think he's a guy that doesn't necessarily uh, communicate well and 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 connect well with the young people. And I've talked to plenty of people who he coached at Michigan. Again, an incredible, incredible coach. He took Michigan to two national title games. Um, yeah. But the key in the NBA. You better get these guys to play hard for you. And if you can't do that by um, engaging with them and, 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 and having relationships with them, you're dead. You're dead one, in this league. And one of the charges that they're making in the story is uh, excessive film sessions, yeah. you know, which drive people crazy to a point. And uh, the counter argument is given, you know, by now there were a couple of people who defended him. Thompson defended sure. him. It's just in Thompson. And um, so uh, to a point, you know, hey, this is where we see our mistakes. But uh, the other problem is they've got a, a sounding board in the middle. I'm, I'm not saying he's undermining him. I, I, I doubt J.B. Bickerstaff. But they got somebody they feel they can go to that, you know, this kind of complicates the issue as well. Uh, but, you know, just go back to John. And I first discovered him at West Virginia. You know, I didn't know him at Lemoyne or anywhere else, you know. But I love that team. I fell in love because I fell in love with his guy, Gancy. I always oh, that's the best. I, and that's where I came up with my NCAA thing that I've been living off for 15 years was every year in the NCAA tournament, I find a player that I'd like to adopt. <laughs> and Gancy was the first one, Mike Gancy. Yep. And I loved him. And I loved the way they played basketball and moved the ball. And I, and I, you know, and I'd followed him to Michigan and, and he proved, him, proved himself at Michigan. But what was he thinking? I mean, I remember when some other guys went from college and I'm thinking my exhibit A, and, and I may be wrong about this, but I, I'm, uh, is that Mike Montgomery was a savvy enough guy when he left Stanford to go to the NBA. This is my annuity. I'm going to bank this. I'm going to yep. do this. Yep. If it doesn't work out, I've just picked up X million dollars for the bank, and I'm set now for life, and then I can go back where I belong and be happy. Sure. I always thought that was kind of the thing that with, that, that with Mike Montgomery, and he may not be the only one that's ever done it that way. But Beeline at 66, is, was he? he's not that, do I say, cynical, but is he? I, why so how do he, you turn it down? Because, Bob, because they offer him the job, and he's a coach. So he's thinking to himself, I don't want to deal with all the BS recruiting in college basketball. It's getting dirty. It has been dirty. And he's thinking, if I can get out of this, I'm going to get out of this right now. So I don't have to do – all I got to do is coach. I'm sure he talked to Brad Stevens. George talked to – who, by the way, stepped up big time yeah. in defense – of, of Beeline, as we speak, the game is tonight on Monday, the 9th of December. They're in Boston, so I, and 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 Stevens jumped right in, uh, defending John Beeline as a wonderful coach, and 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 then explaining the perils and in the, in the situation of a, when a college guy comes in. Jeff, this story is, I love this topic. It's 50 years old. Up to the late 60s, the standard way to become an NBA coach was very simple. You played, and then you got, and then you got a job eventually, all right? Uh, with a very few exceptions, Red Auerbach being a primary one of, as an exception, you know, who was started in the league in 1946 sure. as a 28-year-old coach, talking Mike Uline, the owner of the Washington Capitals then, into the job on the basis of the fact that I know these players. I can get players from the Navy that I, I served with, <laughs> worked with. And that's that was you know that's how he sold himself to Mike Uline. Uh, I can no. get players, and he was 28 years old, brash. Who the hell knew who Red Auerbach was in yeah. the professional yeah. world? He, would, he just came out of the Navy, so he never coached in college. Coached in prep school. Wow. So wow. Yeah, and then he wins the regular season the first year, and they lose in the playoffs. But he wins, 
And, you know, it becomes Red Hour back eventually. You get credibility. Right, you get credibility through winning, Bob. Up the 50s and 60s, the coaches were ex-players. You know, whether they were Alex Hannum, whether they were uh, George Sineski, Red Holtzman, his first stint with the the Hawks, you know, Milwaukee Hawks, et cetera. Then, breakthrough, late the first guy, you know, who I think started the idea, try a college guy. The Lakers, Jack Kent Cook hired Joe Mullaney, and they went to the finals. In 1970 against the Knicks, they weren't as good a team. The Knicks properly won. Took them seven games though to do that. And you know the heroic rule, and, and the, they call it the Willis Reed game was really the Walt Frazier game. We can have that discussion someday, maybe when the playoffs roll around. But anyway, and then there was this second wave. The a wave started in the in the late 60s, early 70s. That he was the first chance with the Fitches and the Mattas and the Cotton Fitzsimmonses, and they all had degrees of success you know throughout the and it became okay you know but we've kind of now now we've got now coaches come from anywhere they come from europe <laughs> yeah they sure they do they come you know the assistant ranks they go i'm saying but the whole thing about the but i mean i know i'm babbling and i know i'm, I'm on my soapbox here but but this is the idea of this of the skepticism that a perfect the professionals have about a college coach has probably never changed it's right the skepticism remained there no they you're right you're right. 50, and it, it's going to be 50th anniversary of that Joe Mullaney in the finals I mentioned, okay? 50th anniversary and still the same issues that were about the, the skepticism about a guy with a strict college background. Strict. Remember I think when it's Rick, hard. You know, well, it's, he got it, the, the Knicks. He had, you know, he had previously been an assistant yeah. with the Knicks before he went to Providence, then went back to the NBA. So he had some NBA cred. But John Bielan has zero NBA cred. Zero. Zero. And, and, Again, you look at it, and Brad Stevens has had success. Fred Hoiberg's already been fired. Billy yep. Donovan's probably on his way out at some point in the next year or two. He's done a, a solid job. But, yeah, ultimately it's Brad Stevens who's kind of the one guy right now that those those college guys are holding on to that, that gives them yep. hope. But, you know, how about this? A little-known fact about John Beeline has never, ever at any level been an assistant coach. He's been a head coach every stop he's ever made from – High school to Lemoyne to Canisius to <laughs> Richmond to West Virginia. That's, that's rare. Unbelievable. That, yeah, it is rare. I mean, so really it's kind of his way, and, and that's kind of what I'm saying here with John Beeline is he's old school, and to be honest, old school really doesn't cut it right now in the NBA. It just doesn't. You have to adapt, and, and that's why I think you know when you talk about college coaches, and, and I've thought about this a little bit, that would be successful in the NBA that are that are currently in college. The one guy that comes to mind more than anything in terms of his personality that's very similar to Brad Stevens uh, and, and unbelievable defensively is Tony Bennett uh, mm-hmm. in Virginia. But everybody questions offense. Can he run offense? I mean, by the way, their numbers this year are beyond. beyond. It's, you know what they remind me of? Remember when Musselman was a, yeah. a, a Musselman? You got to yep. go back to Musselman at, at the to college quickly help me out and in, in Ohio, but yeah. those uh, those those numbers were in the 30s and 40s at times. No, the numbers are ridiculous. We're going to get. I'm sure we'll touch upon that sooner rather than later. Yes, we will. UVA who beat Carolina last night, but um, but uh, you're right. It's uh, he is the. But the how would what kind of a sell would require be required to sell Tony Bennett to the public in the NBA uh, when be hard. Somebody, starts, somebody starts trotting out these numbers. <laughs> yep. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he'd have to hire an offensive coordinator. I mean, legitimately, you would have to, if you hired Tony Bennett, you would have to hire an offensive coordinator with him 
and, and as a PR move, say, hey, he's going to be running our, our offense. Tony Bennett is not going to be running our offense. Don't you but, worry. You know, this, this idea of, of you know coordinators in the you know so-called NBA is not new. It's, and right. it's not you know and and so absolutely there were people like wherever Ryan, Ryan Adams goes, right? He's in charge of that yep. defense, yep. right? And this is now now he's in Golden State. He was in Boston. You know he's had a long run. Uh, he'll never be a head coach unless he's just in interim, you know, interim now at this stage in the 60s. But this guy is going to get down in history as, as a very, you know, on the all-time roster of great assistant coaches yeah. because of his, his defensive reputation. You know, the big thing for, for Beeline, too, is your relationship with Dan Gilbert, the owner. And, and yeah. that's probably going to define how long you last. And, and I don't see Beeline as a schmoozer, right? I think with Dan Gilbert, <laughs> you better schmooze him. I mean, that's just the way to, to, to stay in his good graces. <laughs> That's not John Beeline. So I don't think this thing, you know, maybe he gets another shot next year if he can get through this year because they have almost $100 million in expiring contracts. Almost everybody's gone other than the the mammoth contract that Kevin Love signed, and they'll try to get out from under that. I'm not sure they're going to be able to. Uh, And Larry Nance Jr. And then you got the young guys, Sexton and Garland. But everybody else is gone after this year. So they're going to have a completely new roster um, next year. If they can get rid of Love and they can get rid of, you know, Clarkson and, and Tristan Thompson, they're going to stink again next year. I just didn't like Beeline in the NBA with this group that's not going to win. I, I just didn't see it working. So. I didn't like it because, A, I don't like to see college lose a, a, right. a stalwart guy like that. That's right. You know, and, and he was just... It just seemed it was the perfect fit. Yeah. You know, like I thought Montgomery, I remember when I first encountered Mike, I, I know I'm back to this because he, he intrigued me at the time when I met him at Stanford and I talked with him and, and saw the way they played and what they did. And, he, and, and I said, this is like what a perfect marriage this is, right? Stanford and, and Michael, yeah. yep. they should, should have been like, he should have been the coach K of the West Coast yeah, in no terms doubt. of 70. I really believe that, that he should never have left Stanford and he thought he could still be there. I, I thought at the time, you know, they would be, we'd be talking about that. Anyway, he was a perfect fit. Beeline was a perfect fit for college basketball. Do you know who the guy that, and I was thinking about the, the, the next coaches, NBA coaches that are going to be on the, the block here, uh, and I looked up the odds, preseason odds, who the favorite was to be the, the first coach fired was Scott Brooks in oh. Washington, mm-hmm. who's got nothing. I mean, again, you want to fire Scott Brooks, fine, oh. fire Scott yeah. Brooks, but, like, he's That's, got nothing, zero. That, that's rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic move. Right, the, right. His, Nobody's going to win there. He's not matter. the issue. No, no, no. They got one player, Bradley Beal. Billy Donovan was second. Jim Boylan of the Bulls, uh, third. I, I think Boylan could be next. But, again, you've got uh, management there, similar to in New York, with, with Paxson and Gar Foreman that are a complete train wreck. And when, ultimately, um, do you make a move with them? And... and, and and determine that again, right? Like with the Knicks, it's Steve Mills. Dolan's always going to be Dolan, but but with the Bulls, isn't it more of you know Paxson and Gar Foreman? And don't like how have they survived all this? Yeah, you know it's not. It's funny not not too too long ago, you know that that was a team that was on the verge. Yeah, really on the verge. And remember they had that great series with the Celtics and 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 that. You know Rondo the whopping point totals, and you know, Rondo goes off, and they go off, and wonderful series, fun series. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I just want to th- just thinking about coaches. We're talking about coaches, and I wanted to make sure I just put in a plug here for a quiet, under the radar job being done, and a team achieving respectability, and and put and every night the Nets, the yes. Nets are, are are putting out a good effort. 
and Dinwiddie is becoming, you know, a lot more than just a six man. And but I mean, and but Kenny Atkinson had a, one of those insiders reps, you know, like Steve yeah. Clifford, right? An insider rep. And guess what? He looks like it, he's living up. It's like he he is the goods. He has the goods. Well, the goods, the goods are the Nets are nine and three Next. now without Kyrie. Yeah, and four and, and seven, four and, and seven with Kyrie, Bob. That's who's lurking, and you know we know next year. I mean, you know, so anything they do this year is gravy, and right. you know, and assuming that Durant, you know, is going to come back and be Durant, and you know, he's uh, uh, older than you realize. That's the only thing that worries yeah. me a little. He he's is, start, and he's and he's been hurt, months. and he's been hurt a lot, a lot. That's where you worry about Kevin Durant coming back is how many of these can he deal with and still be, yeah, you know, at his age be effective, right? Speaking of coming backs, Gordon Hayward. Yes. And he swears that the left bone, the, the, the left one, though, the injury, he said the bone's stronger than the right one now. You know, he's been, he's been seen shooting. He's been shooting for a couple of weeks with both hands, you know. And anyway, it's conditioning, obviously, and, yeah. oh, upsetting the why. You know, they've got a new thing, nice little rhythm going. Brown and Tatum are both playing at a, at a, a borderline all-star yeah. level. And uh, they got it going, right? And, and, they, they were, but that was working when, when he before he got hurt. It was working with the three figuring out how to, you know. But it was three then. Out. Remember, Jalen was hurt at that point. Canner wasn't. Canner hasn't been much anyway. He that's that hasn't been a big issue no, because Tice has been good. Tice so they haven't good. needed Canner. They've wanted defense, which which I like. But how about this? All three of Kemba, Tatum, Jalen Brown, all averaging twenty a game, and and now you get Hayward back, and now you're going to see the full Boston Celtics with all four of those guys playing together. And honestly, they could, they could all average close to 20 a game. I mean, they're and Gordon Hayward was playing at such a high level before this injury. You just hope he comes out of the gate strong again, because the only thing I worry about with Hayward is his confidence. That's it. And, and hopefully this doesn't stunt him in, in getting back to what he had kind By of the way, finally become. Quick, quick aside. As you know, I'm a box scorer. I love box scores, even though they've been, they've been poisoned by the three. They don't have the wonderful symmetry they used to have, which, by the way, I went before uh, a box score kiss to Anthony Davis last night. 20-10-50. means no threes. It was over nice. Two. You love that one. Oh, it's my favorite so far. It's my, it's my leader in the clubhouse for my favorite box score this year. But I was going to get the other night. I think it was... Somebody had four players in the, with 20 in the starting lineup in, yeah. in a losing effort, okay? I've been to two games, have you, in my career. I've been to, I know, excuse me, I've been to two only in 50-plus years of covering yeah. the NBA where all five starters had 20. Wow. Only two. I would have been the third. I would, I've only been two. The first was a Celtic Bullets game in 19, in, the, in like 72, 172, something like that, in the early 70s. Uh, it, it was it was starting lineup it was was Cowens, yeah, uh, Havlicek, Nelson, White, and Cheney, and the big kicker was Don Cheney throwing at twenty very rarely, you know. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. And they won. It was night of an ushers strike at the Boston Garden. That's the other thing I remember. There was no ushers. <laughs> People were, couldn't find their seats. The other was the Lakers against the Suns in nineteen eighty four in the Western Conference Finals, and it was the losing Suns who did it. Really, Alvin Adams, Larry Nance. Walter Davis, Kyle Macy. Oh, he could shoot it. Kyle Macy could shoot it. Um, uh, oh, Luis Lucas. That's pretty good. That's a good team. They could score. Right. right. They ran. And by the way, they lost to the Lakers in a wonderful game and one of the great, 
one of the greatest plays I ever saw in my life, all right, was, was made by uh, Larry Nance Jr. He goes up for a hook shot, okay? You know, remember that? You know, the, the <laughs> Kareem blocks the shot. Gets to, just perfect. Yeah, yeah. Larry Nance is falling. He reloads and clutches. And before he hits the deck, or just as he hits the deck, he tosses the ball up, and it goes in off the glass into the basket. <laughs> really? Larry Nance was a, was a good player. Play. Anyway, Larry Nance Sr. was a, quite an athlete. He was a freak. So is his son. So is his son. But we digress. But that's we digress. Uh, back to the Celtics with Gordon yes. Hayward. Can they now, do you think they can contend and win the East? Well, the problem is, is, is Milwaukee a colossus or are they just on a hot streak? Uh, it's, I mean, Milwaukee is obviously in the driver's seat. And, um, but I think there's a cluster. I just think, they, I just look at it this way. They can maybe compete with Philadelphia, compete with, with I'm, I, my growing respect for what the, the, the rump caucus uh, uh, Raptors that are left, you know, I think maybe, but the thing is they're so small. And can they rebound in the, in the end well enough? Will they shoot the three well enough? You know, they got, they got the, the defensive agility to, to be a good team defending the three, I think, if they play properly and they, and they play hard. But um, do they shoot the three enough? And, and they, they are awful small. And, I mean, they're, they're a NCAA front lines bigger than theirs in, in, uh, right now. You know. So, we'll, you know, I, but, I, it, but the good thing about it, Jeff, they've restored public interest and they've restored uh, their fun, they're fun to watch. And, and, and they convey... Joie de vivre. They convey. I, I'm sorry, I got the French in my head. I'm sorry. They convey that uh, that they're happy. We all know last year was a was a, a tense yes, season yes. for them. Just tense. What hey, what what is when people ask me this? I don't know how to answer it anymore. What what is Boston as a sports city now, or or, or overall? What do you what do you answer well, when people well, ask you? The biggest, what is it? The, the story of stories. If you were to say, Bob, what's you know the biggest story of my time here. I set foot in Boston in 1964 as a freshman in Boston College. The biggest uh, story is the transfer of power from the Red Sox to the Patriots, that the, the rise of the Patriots, who was recently as 1993, when Bill Parcells was, was hired, were a distant fourth on the pecking order. A distant, not close. That's right. That's Red right. Sox. Clear you know, as Celtics, day. Or, you know, Celtics yeah. and, and the winner and the Bruins were, were always were always there. They're always up there. And the Patriots, and I can tell you at the times, I used to do the sports reporters on Sunday in, in New York and fly back on the, on the 11 o'clock shuttle and hit Logan at 12 and, and drive down to Foxborough, which is, as you know, about you know 20 miles, uh, and, and get in my seat in time for the game because there was no traffic at uh, going into Foxborough. Okay? Try that so, now. Right? Try yeah. leaving there now. Yeah. So, point is, they were, and then the minute Bill Parcells was hired, the phones started to ring. And, and and that was the he's the table setter for the whole Belichick thing was he he restored credibility. Drew Bledsoe should never be ignored and what he did to help this franchise get back on its feet. And, and then, of course, Belichick came in the rest of history. But that was that wasn't until 1993. That's how far. Anyway, the Red Sox you know, always reigned supreme. You, I always used to say you could write baseball 365 days a year in Boston. And now the thing is, you can write football 365 days a year in Boston. The pecking order is is, you know, it is Patriots one. Even though the Red Sox, four world championships later, and and one year removed from the fourth, 
they're number they're at best one A and and probably two, and then the others fluctuate depending on circumstance and uh, for two three between uh, three four between the Celtics and the and the Bruins. Who, who uh, you know Bruins are coming out of a year when they should have won a Stanley Cup. They're gonna they kicked one away um, last year, but they're still you know very competitive and obviously one of the top three or four teams in the league on, so far. So that's the order: Patriots one, and Red Sox. I'll go two, and then right now, very you know three three A. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely changed since <laughs> since I was growing up. I mean, again, it was a baseball. You would say it was a baseball town, clearly. Without, without and now, anybody who's growing up now, it, it's a football town. It really is, and I don't know if it'll last or it'll. Oh, it'll be interesting post Brady and Belichick. You know, I, if that it'll be very interesting, and people because the the thing is, it it, it we took a phenomenal, unprecedented reign of success in the in, in NFL. No team's ever been this good this long. You know, we had the Packers owned the 60s, the 60s. But we're talking in the second decade. We're talking the first championship. Will, there'll be the 18th anniversary on February 3rd uh, of the Super Bowl when, when they won their first championship. Which, That's crazy. Uh, 18th anniversary. And then guess who's still the QB and guess who's still the coach? And and so that this isn't going to – we're not going to see this again, not in the salary cap era. You know, it's – and we're not going to see this again. So uh, uh, it took all that to get them where they are. But that's where they are. They're they're the currency. And so are I, you are you home are you home now for a little while? Or are you gallivanting anywhere else no, any, anywhere soon? Uh, uh, except we, um, I'm probably going to be seen in New Orleans. We uh, we we go socialize at the at the college football playoff. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm planning on going to New Orleans. Um, Final Four on doubt in doubt this year because I, I I'm not a big fan of Atlanta. <laughs> You're not going to go to the Final Four? Not sure. I don't think so. Do we want to have a question, college basketball question for you? Sure. When we, uh, okay. No, we do it. Is this a year similar to 1983 and 1985? Would it shock you if the champion has seven, eight, nine, even ten losses, a la North Carolina State in '83, Villanova in '85? Would it, is this the year when it could happen? You, the end. There really are 15 contenders. Yeah, I, I, I think. Again, if you get in as an at-large right now, you're thinking, we got a chance because the number one team in the country, uh, Louisville, I'll see tomorrow night. They, they play in Jimmy B in New York. I just saw Ohio State over the weekend. I've got them at number two. They, they're mm. really good. Don't get me wrong. They're really good. But you look at them, and they may not have a, a first-round pick on their roster. Uh, Louisville has Jordan Mora, who, if he was a first-round pick, he would have stayed in a year ago. He can – he can and has improved his stock. Maybe he'll go in the first round this year. But there's nobody overpowering. Duke and Kentucky don't look like what we think of Duke and Kentucky. So I, I think ultimately, uh, yeah, this is going to be one of those seasons that doesn't have a ton of juice to it, right, in, in November, December, January, even February. And then when March hits, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun because uh, it's just going to be anybody's um, – you know, Final Four or national title. I think somebody has the potential to come out of nowhere. I, I'm going to defend in all regular seasons now yep. in that I know the thing and I know how people think and I know what you, we're going to be seeing. You know, nothing matters until March and, you know, and until, uh, all I know is this being the case, though, if there is this much, dare I use the P word here, Jeff? Parody? Yeah, parody. Absolutely. You can use it. If I can use that, then doesn't this, by definition, mean there could be scores of really good games between very competitive teams on a, on a certain equal basis, you know, for people to savor and enjoy? And, and, and remember that, it's a, you know, it, it, it can't always 
always be about championships. It's got to be. You have to have a reason for the whole thing to set up. I mean, if you, a true sports fan doesn't live on on the idea that it always has to be about championships. It's you know the the best game of the year might be played on January 18th. You know, in in, in the yep. in, in the Big 12 some night. You know. Sometimes somebody might break out in four overtimes of greatness. Who knows? Whatever. It might be in the Ivy League. I mean, but the point is, regular season. I, I, I enjoy detest, it. I detest right. the denigration of all regular seasons. Well, I think that's the hardest part, especially with college basketball, more than any other sport, is because again, regular season titles don't have the same value. You know, even even at the smaller conferences, right? You win your regular season. That should mean something. That's a a three and a half well, month. Uh, deal where you were the best team in your league. Yeah. Right. Instead, it's three days, Bob. Three days are worth more than three, three and a half months, which That's doesn't it. make well, a lot yeah, of I'm sense. Right. The tournament, right, right, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, you know. It's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm really jumping around, but I just popped yeah. into my head. We, we, you, know, you and I were talking uh, last week about um, the NBA ratings and the schedule and and and, uh, and the, the Adam Silver's, you know vaunted fascination with European football, right? Yeah. And yet, the premiership, in case people don't know, in, in, in England, there's no playoff. The prize is winning the premiership, period. There's no playoffs in, yeah. in, the, in the most important football league in the world. I'm not, you know, year in and year out. The most important, the richest, the one that has the biggest clout, even, you know, maybe in every year, some years, the Bundesliga champs better and, and France is better in England and Spain's better. But, it's the premiership. They don't have a playoff. Does he take a note of that fascination that the most important soccer league in the world, that he's so infatuated with European soccer, doesn't yeah. have a playoff? The regular season is, is everything? This oh, mid-season, this mid-season oh, tournament, Bob. Is, this, have you had idea what he's talking about with this tournament? No, I think it's it? ridiculous. I, I don't think anybody's going to care. I, I think players are going to be turned off by it because it's just one more uh, thing they got to worry about load management. Uh, why would you play in this? If it's money, money, incentive, draft picks, like really? Guys don't care. The players, you think Kawhi Leonard cares about a draft pick? No, no, he, he doesn't care. He cares about load, load management right now for himself. This is a bad idea, period. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, again, listen, Adam Silver is a smart, smart, smart human being. Um, don't try to outsmart yourself. That, stick with what works. <laughs> if you want to cut down the amount of games in the regular season by five, you know, a handful of games, I'm all for that. That that's fine. But let's not go crazy here and try to reinvent the wheel. It doesn't need reinventing. And I don't think so. Although you know, we were talking, the ratings are down. Uh, I I'm never very good at analyzing this. I I know I know, I'd li- I know what I'd like to think, but I know is not is the farthest thing from the truth. I'd love to think people hate the three, but obviously I'm I'm. They do not. Sh- they do not. I'm in the shrill party. I understand that, folks. <laughs> I hate the three. I wish it never existed. I think it's distorted the game at every level. I think it's deleterious to the flow uh, and the way proper game. It's it's, it's ruined the inside play, and uh, uh, and I know how how out there I am on that. So I'm, I accept that. <laughs> and, with, and with that, and with that, Robert, we're we going to call it a day. We're calling it a podcast. <laughs> and that won't be the last time I'll be issuing a three, anti-three diatribe. And Anthony Davis, look, 20 field goals, 10 free throws, 50 points, the way a box score should be. We'll, we'll talk more about Anthony Davis, uh, I'm sure, uh, in the future, maybe as soon as next week. Good, good to have you back, Bob, and uh, we will see you next week on the, uh, the Ryan and Goodman podcast.